Every summer, ever since I can remember, before we moved here to the United States, my parents would send us to my grandparents' house to, span, to spend about a week or two, sometimes even more than that. And every night before we went to sleep, we would ask my grandma to tell us a story. And for a period of time there, I remember that every single time she said, okay, it's time for a story, I would just say, okay, I know the story I want, Joseph. And every night, it was the same thing, over and over, I just kept asking for Joseph, until she finally said, well, didn't you realize that there are other stories in the Bible? I said, no, well, I know there are, but that's my favorite. I love that story. I've loved it my whole life, and my favorite book, besides the Bible, is the, is the book Joseph by Terry Fiveash. It's a, it's a really thick book. She's also written books on the life of King David called David. So if you haven't read any of them, they are wonderful. I believe that I'm not the only one in here that loves the story of Joseph, right? And I see some nodding heads already. And those of us who've grown up in the church, probably it was one of the stories that you love to hear. There's something about the story that's special. The plot is awesome, right? You wanna cry in some points, you wanna laugh at others, you're angry at some of the characters. And then in the end, it has an awesome ending. It's a great story. But I believe that there might be something else in the story that perhaps relates to us, and that's why we love the story, and that is the lows and the highs of the story. Wouldn't you say that we all have lows and highs in our lives? We do, don't we? And although I'm sure if somebody asked us if we wanna just be in one, we would all choose the highs, and I'm sure God created us that way. That's why there is heaven for us, right? We will have the highs all the time. But right now, while we live here on earth, it is unrealistic to think that all of our life will be in the highs. There will be those lows. And what I love about the story of Joseph is that he gives us an example of someone who handles the lows really well. And I think that we can learn from the story, what are the keys, what are some of the keys at least, that we can use for our lives in how to handle the lows like a pro, because I think he was a pro at it. We are going to be looking at a part of the story in Joseph, chapters 40 and 41 mostly, but before we get to those chapters, I think we need to review and go through the rest of the story because there are certain things I want you to notice before we get to those. Joseph grows up in a very dysfunctional family, and chapter 37 is the chapter that introduces him to us. All families have problems, as we know, but there are some that are more dysfunctional than others, right? And his family definitely fits the bill. The polygamy that the family started with just bred jealousy and bitterness and bickering and fights, not just among the wives with Jacob, but also it transferred onto the sons. Because the brothers, all of Joseph's brothers who were much older than him were growing up in a family where there were fights all the time and resentment towards the dad because he only loved one of the wives and they knew that their dad didn't love their moms. And I believe that many of the things that the brothers do 
throughout the story is because they are getting back at him. And one other problem is that not only did he love Rachel, he also then transferred that love onto Joseph. And he was his favorite son. The truth is that I don't think that Joseph really saw the favoritism. And I don't think so because I've been there. When I went to my grandma, I didn't really realize that my grandma had favorites until I was much older. She had favorites among everybody. But in my family, it was she loved me and my second sister, and she did not like my third sister very much. But I didn't know, I was a kid, and all I knew was that my grandma loved me. And she took care of me, and every time I could get a hug from her, and great food, and whatever I wanted. But my youngest sister told us later on in life that that's not how it was for her. She didn't really want to go, and we didn't understand why she didn't always want to go. On my mom's side of the family, there was also favoritism. My mom's grandma only loved one of the children. My mom is out of 10 kids, so she has four sisters and five brothers. And my, her grandma only loved the oldest sister. And every time she would come over, she would bring gifts for just her. She one time brought a suitcase of clothes that was just for the oldest sister. And she told the rest of them, don't even touch it because you can't wear it. So I believe that Joseph never really saw it because let's think about it. His mom died when he was a little kid. And it doesn't seem that any of the other wives stepped up to be his mom. He doesn't have anyone else, so who is he going to cling to? His dad. His dad was the one who he knew loved him. And he could go to for everything. So he probably didn't analyze all of the dynamics of that this favoritism caused. And so it's not surprising that the brothers start resenting him too. And then to top it all off, besides him just being a snitch, he also one day comes to them and says, hey guys, I had a dream. And in this dream, I dreamed that we all had stocks of grain and they all bow down to mine, all of yours. You can imagine how well that came across. But he didn't learn because the next day he comes back and he says, you know what, you will never believe this. I had another dream. And in this dream, the sun and the moon and the stars, they all bow down to me too. So it's not surprising that when his father sends him to Shechem, to check on the brothers, as they see him, they say, the dreamer. And mind you, it was not a cute nickname. The dreamer is coming, let's kill him. Their hatred for him was so great by then. Reuben talks to them and says, no, 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 let's not do that. Let's throw him into this pit right here because he was planning to come back and get him. He leaves, and then they all sit down to eat. Imagine the irony, they're sitting down to eat, 
while Joseph is in the pit. And they're eating, and the caravan of Ishmaelites comes by. They're trading incense, and they're taking it to Egypt. And so Judah suggests, hey, why don't we just send him with them? He's trying to save his life in a really backwards way. And so that's what they end up doing. And it doesn't matter that Joseph is pleading and crying, coming up to each one of them saying, please don't do this. They send him anyways. And they don't even have the courage to go and take the clothes that they ripped apart and took off of him and dipped in animal blood to take it to their dad on their own. They send it. The Bible says they send it ahead of them so they wouldn't have to see when his father looks at it and figures out what happened. They wanted him to make that conclusion all on his own that a wild animal ripped him apart. And for the next 20 years, they have to live with what they did. Meanwhile, Joseph ends up in Egypt. And a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Chad spoke on the story of what happens with when he gets to Potiphar's house. At Potiphar's house in chapter 39, it says the Lord was with him, and so he prospers. And Potiphar trusts him with so much that he gives him everything. He puts everything under his control into his hands. But Potiphar's wife comes along and says, what about me? I want to be included too. In the 10 years, most likely about 10 years, that Joseph is there, he has grown into a man. And she chases after him so much that in the end, we know, she eventually tears off the piece of clothes, clothes off of him, and he ends up in prison. And now we get to chapter 40. So I want you to turn with me there. Chapter 40 of Genesis. And it says that it came to pass after these things that the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their lord. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief butler and the chief baker. And now listen to this. It says, he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison. Who is this captain of the guard? Who is the one who's in charge of the prison? Well, if you look at chapter 39, the first verse tells us that. It says, now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard... So what happened here? Potiphar, as the captain of the guard, was in charge of the prisoners of the king. The prison was under his jurisdiction. So when he finds out what his wife did, it says that he got angry, but it doesn't say at who he got angry. And instead of sending Joseph to have capital punishment, which is what normally would happen for that kind of crime, he takes him, and he puts him in prison. And it's still a place that he's in charge of. Eventually, even the butler says, Joseph, the Hebrew, young Hebrew man who was a servant of the captain of the guard. So he's still serving Potiphar, even in prison. And one day, as he's walking by through the prison, he notices that the butler and the baker are sad. So he asks them what's going on, and they say, well, we each have had a dream, and there is no interpreter of it. 
What they mean by it is we're not in the Egyptian court anymore. We're not with the king. And so we cannot just go to a magician or a wise man to ask for the interpretation. Archaeologists have uncovered many different scrolls with dream interpretation techniques that the Egyptians used. That's what they did. They believed in dreams. They believed that dreams came from gods and that each one of them had some kind of a message, especially if they were dreams they could not forget. And Joseph turns to them and says, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell them to me, please. And the butler tells him his dream. He says, I had a dream about a vine that had three branches and suddenly started budding and blossoming and then these huge grapes came off of it. And I squeezed the grapes into a cup and I gave it to Pharaoh. And Joseph says, all right, this dream means that in three days, Pharaoh will call you in and you'll be restored to your position. But then he says this, verse 14. But remember me when it is well with you. And please show kindness and get me out of this house. For indeed, I was stolen away. And the phrase there means I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and also I have done nothing here that they should put me into the dungeon. My Bible says, translates this as the dungeon. Your Bible might say something a little bit different. Some might say a pit. What is the word that Joseph uses here? He uses the Hebrew word bor, B-O-R, bor. What does bor mean? It does not mean prison. He's in prison, but he's not referring to it as a prison. It is the exact same word that Reuben suggested they throw Joseph into the pit. What is Joseph doing here? To him, it is as if he is still in that pit. He just goes from one pit into another. And then the baker sees that he had a good interpretation, so maybe he'll get one as well. But when he tells him his dream, Joseph says, unfortunately for you, it is not so great. You will be brought before the king as well in three days, but you will lose your life. And that's exactly what happens. And then the chapter ends with this. Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. And we, looking at it from our Western minds, we would think, well, okay, that's a little redundant. Why does it say, forgot him if he didn't remember him? Obviously, it's the same thing, isn't it? But the author wants to make sure that we don't miss this point. That he was forgotten, that he was forgotten by almost every human being there was. But God never forgets. And so God, in the next chapter, starts out by God orchestrating something in the life of Pharaoh so that he would see that God was with him. Now, Pharaoh, two days later, so most likely Joseph would have been in prison for about three years. Two years later, it says that Pharaoh has a dream. And in this dream, he's standing by, it says, the river. Some of your Bibles might say he was standing by the Nile. Because whenever they said the river in Egypt, it meant the Nile. The Nile was the life for everything in Egypt. And he's standing there and he sees seven cows come out of it, seven fat, 
beautiful cows, and then seven scrawny cows who come and eat the fat ones. He falls asleep again, and then he sees seven grains, seven stalks that are full of grain, and seven thin ones that come up and they devour the, thick, the, the full ones. And later on when Pharaoh tells the story, he says, yeah, but even though they devour them, not one of them ever turned fat, even though they ate so much stuff. And when he wakes up that morning, he's really troubled because he knows that since this dream has something to do with the Nile River and the economic prosperity of Egypt, this is bad news. He wasn't sure how, but he knew it was bad news. And he, didn't, he needed someone to tell him what this bad news is and what to do about it. So he calls all of the Egyptians and the wise men. They come up, but none of them can help him. And they might have been suspecting the same thing he was, but this was bad news. And then finally, the butler remembers that there was someone in prison who interpreted his dream. And he tells Pharaoh, and now it says that Pharaoh, in verse 14, called Joseph. And they brought him quickly out of the dungeon. They brought him quickly, it literally says, they ran him out. And once again, it says, out of the boar. They ran him out of the pit. It's as if this time he's finally coming out of the pit. He got shaved and put on new clothing. Comes to Pharaoh, and then Pharaoh speaks to him and says, Joseph, I hear that you can interpret dreams. And Joseph says in verse 16, it is not in me. I can't. But God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. And then Pharaoh tells him the dreams, and Joseph says, all right, those two dreams are one dream. They're the same. And what they mean is that there will be seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. And then he says something. He says, the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice because the thing is established by God and God will shortly bring it to pass. If you've noticed, there's a pattern of dreams, of two dreams throughout the story of Joseph. Two dreams that Pharaoh has, two dreams, Baker and Butler, and then two dreams that Joseph had. So he's saying, whenever there's a pattern of those two dreams, God is saying those things will for sure happen. Which means that this would have triggered in Joseph's mind, oh, my dreams will also come true. But then he keeps going and tells Pharaoh, this is what you need to do about it. You need to appoint a wise man, and this wise man will have people under them, under him, who will collect food. One-fifth of everything that's, produ that's produced in the land. And then for the years of famine, this is what you will use. And we know what happens next. Pharaoh turns around and says, did you guys hear all this? This is amazing. What do you think? And they all say, great, this is sound advice. It sounds like this could really actually happen, and we need someone who will take care of it. And so then he asks them, can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the Spirit of God? He turns to Joseph and says, it's you, Joseph. You are going to be the one. And then he gives him the signet ring, 
He gives him, it says, new change of clothes, and he puts a gold chain around his neck. When I looked up what it means that he was given this gold chain around the neck, I came across something that's called the goddess of Ma'at. The goddess of Ma'at was the goddess of justice and truth for the Egyptians. And the goddess of Ma'at would have been, had a symbol of the feather, of the, an ostrich feather. And they believe that this ostrich feather would weigh in the afterlife, because they believe in the afterlife, that in order for you to get into the afterlife, you had to weigh your heart, they had to weigh the person's heart that died, and this ostrich feather. And if the heart was light and without sin and without evil, then it would go up above the feather. But if it was full of sin and evil, then it would end up all the way on the bottom. So this goddess represented justice and truth to them because of the scale. And so what was put on Joseph's neck was the symbol of the feather. And in that sense, he became the, a priest of Ma'at. So his position was to be a judge in the land of Egypt, but not just a judge. He was to become a vizier, and a vizier is another word for, that today we could say for a prime minister of the country. So he's second in command of Pharaoh, and he's in charge of all the affairs of the land. The only person that could ever tell him that something needs to change was Pharaoh. Otherwise, everything was on him. Joseph, it says, was 30 years old, and he becomes second in command in the land of Egypt. Now, I want to go back to the question that I started with. How do we handle the lows, and what can we learn from the story of Joseph about the lows in our lives? And I want to give you three truths about pits that we can learn from Joseph. Number one, do not think that because God is with you that you will not end up in a pit. And vice versa, just because you ended up in a pit does not mean that God is not with you. It does not mean that God has abandoned you. And yet to us, that's what it often seems like, doesn't it? We think, well, God, what exactly is going on? You must have left me a long time ago. You have abandoned me. But God doesn't always save us from the tough situations in our lives. It's not that he throws us into the pits but he allows them for a reason. And yet it says that even when Joseph was in prison, there's a verse that's repeated in chapter 39 the, um, that it says, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And then again at the end of the chapter, it says the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made prosper. Number two truth about Pitts is that we may not sometimes get out of a pit 
until we are ready to accept God's new clothing. Now let me explain what I mean by that. There's a pattern in the story of Joseph. His clothing is stripped off of him by his brothers and he's thrown into a pit. His clothing is stripped off of him again by Potiphar's wife and he's thrown into a pit. And then at the end, if you noticed, and by the time Pharaoh calls him up, it says, once again, he's taken out of the pit and he's given new clothing. That pattern is there for a reason, to show us that God sometimes allows those pits because there is that new clothing that he wants to give us, but we are not ready for it yet. And he needs to prepare us. The reason for why Joseph was in prison is because he learned about justice in prison. He learned how to be a great judge from watching what injustice was like and what justice was like. We may sometimes have to go through those pits because there is something God wants to teach us. And number three, The best way to handle a pit is to do a Joseph, to hold on to God. I've shared with you before that I have, that I was sick for many, many years, and before I found out that it all came from Lyme's disease that I had, there were days when I would be in pain, just my whole body would just throb. And those were days when I thought I was in a pit. And not just in a pit, I felt like I was in the bottom of the pit. And there was one day especially where I woke up and I told God, I'm done with this. I need something. I need you to show me that you are still with me. I pray this. wasn't even really expecting an answer. You know, it's one of those days. And I went into the seminary building because I was in the MDiv program at that time and that morning we had communion. And I was paired up with one of the ladies that was my classmate who was also studying in the MDiv program. And we washed our feet together and then we were praying together. So she prayed over me and then I prayed for her. And as I was praying for her, there was a verse that kept popping into my mind all throughout the, the prayer, and I just kept saying, but wouldn't it be just weird if I just said that verse? Until eventually, it just wouldn't leave me, so I finally said, okay, and I prayed this verse over, and the, pray, and the verse is from the book of Isaiah, and it says, in repent, God is speaking to Israel, and he says, in repentance and rest is your salvation, in quietness and trust is your strength. And I prayed it over her, and then I said amen. And as soon as I said amen, I looked up and I see her already looking at me. And I'm thinking, oh no, she's probably thinking it was really weird. And she tells me, you have no idea what just happened. She said, I have been going through so much crazy stuff. And there are tears rolling down her face and she's saying, I just asked God this morning to show me that he's real and that he still cares about me, and he, I asked him to show it to me by sending someone to me who will tell me that exact verse. 
And I just turned to her and I said, you have no idea. Because God just answered my prayer too. When you are in a pit, remember to not let go of Jesus because he never, ever lets go of you.